We look today in Romans chapter 15. Um, we left off about 18, 19, right in there. So if we back up to 16, Paul is saying that he was made the minister of the Gentiles. Now, that was not the office that Paul chose for himself. Paul didn't say, well, you men stay here in Jerusalem and I'm going to do the Gentiles. I think I want to do that. But the Bible says that he is the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. You looked in Acts and Jesus himself, really before Paul was ever converted, before Ananias ever spoke with him, he said he's a chosen vessel. He's going to the Gentiles to preach my word. And that's what Jesus told him uh, as he saved him in later testimonies of Paul. Jesus said, you're going to go far and you're going to open the eyes of these that are in darkness. So Paul was made by the will of God, by God's direction, by God's choice. Paul was made to be the apostle that was going to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And so in verse, let's start in 18 maybe. For I will not dare speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about Ilricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. So uh, last time in 18, you remember, Paul says, I, I didn't, uh, I'm not going to boast, I'm not going to uh, tell of anything that a work that somebody else has done, something that's, uh, that I've not seen personally, that was not performed through my hands. And let's, let's remember this now. So he's the chosen minister to the Gentiles. And God is doing a work through Paul. It's not Paul's ability that's getting the work done. It's not Paul's wisdom that's getting the work done. But God is working through Paul to accomplish the work that that he has to do. And so Paul says, I'm not going to brag of something somebody else has done or something that I've not seen. You know, that's the way the false apostles and the false teachers and the false preachers done. When there was something good, they wanted it credited to themselves. They wanted glory and they wanted fame and they wanted to be seen. And when, when it was done, they wanted people to say, well, look at what he's done. Look at what she's done. Look how they got this job accomplished. Paul says, I'm not going to boast in that that's done by others, but through mighty signs and wonders. So if you notice the sentence in verse 18, doesn't end, there's a comma there. So make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. What's happening? These Gentiles, these pagans... These, as Greg looked in Thessalonians Wednesday, these pagans and these idol worshipers, they're being transformed. Their lives are being uh, uh, changed and they're being made new creatures. They're going from serving idols to now they're filled with the Holy Spirit. 
down at the house of God seeking God's face and living lives that are dedicated to Him. So how is that being done? Through mighty signs and wonders. So that word mighty, we've talked about it before. Dunamis is the Greek word. Same word from dynamite. That miraculous power of God. So the miraculous power and signs is an indication. In the Gospel of John and in the other Gospels, you'll see Jesus working miracles. It's the same word. It's an indication. And so what it is, is Jesus, by the power of His works, by the power of these uh, miracles He was doing, He was indicating that He was a man sent from God, and He was indicating that His words were true. So how can you believe somebody that comes out of the blue and says, I'm the Son of God? It's hard to believe. But when that man turns around and gives a man born blind sight and raises a man in a grave that's been dead for four days, brings him back to life and takes the lame that are unable to walk and have been lame for years and makes them to walk, and he does all of these mighty works, that's an indication that God is approving of what this man is saying. So now the apostles now, you think about Jesus, and I, I believe word of Jesus spread all over the world there in that day, not just the Jews, but the majority of Jesus' ministry was centered in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. Remember, He said Himself, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So the Gentiles and, and places even farther out, Italy, they had never seen nor... They had heard stories is all that there was. But these places that the apostles are now going to preach, they're beginning in Jerusalem where Jesus was and where He was crucified, but now the gospel's going out into the world. And so how are these pagans that don't know anything about the Old Testament and all they know is idols and Ashtaroth and worshiping the sun, moon, and stars and totem poles and all this manner of foolishness, how are these people going to be persuaded that even the Old Testament is the Word of God? See, we, we're so far detached in how blessed we are to come up around the Word of God. That we know the Word of God. We, people around here have at least got some bit of trust that the Bible is true in some sense or another, whether they fully believe it or not. But at least there's that foundation there. But see, Paul's going to places where there's no foundation. There's no understanding. There's absolutely no knowledge of God and of the law. Now how are you going to persuade these people that what they grew up in all of their life, the way of worship and religion and belief system and tradition, everything that they grew up in and believed and taught from a little child, how are you going to persuade them that that's wrong and that this gospel is the truth? You're looking at by man... An impossible task, wouldn't you say? It'd be an impossible task for me to go to another country 
and try to persuade people of my intellect and ability of the Lord Jesus Christ that has no knowledge of Him at all. And yet, that's what's happening. Paul's going into cities and preaching and people are being saved. And it don't take a month to do that either. Sometimes his first time in the synagogue and there's, there's a few people saved. How can that be? Well, this is how that it's being done through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost is at work here in Paul. And there are... Now, I realize as we read this, we think of something different. The apostles did do miracles. They brought the sick out in the street so that the shadow of Peter would pass over them that they would be healed. These apostles had power from God to work outward miracles, but that's why they had that. Because they're going to places that are barbarians, that are pagans, that are uh, Greeks, that are idol worshipers with no foundation. So to convince them, God's put power on them to indicate these are men of God. Remember Nicodemus come to Jesus and said, we know that you're from God because only somebody from God could do these works. They were testifying who Jesus was. You remember Paul, they shipwreck and they're on that isle of barbarians. People that don't know anything about God. And I don't even know that Paul had preached at that point. They had just shipwrecked there and were coming together and they're building a fire and Paul throwed some sticks and the viper bit him. And he shook it off in the fire and, and they're waiting on him to die. And in a little while, he's not hurt. He's not been affected. And they want to worship him. See, now they're convinced that this man's got... There's some power in this man that's beyond this world. And it's when they begin to realize that that Paul says, hold on a minute. We're just like you are. And he begins to preach to them the gospel. And now they've got a foundation. It may not be in the Scripture, but they've got a foundation that this man must be God's man. And we can believe what he's saying by the power that's on his life. Now I realize it's not in the same exact way that this works today, but Greg stands and preachers stand today with a task that of their strength is impossible to persuade and convict and admonish man that he's lost and is in need of salvation. It's a work that by the strength and the toll of man, man will get tired of doing it. And man will say they're never going to see, they're never going to hear, they're never going to believe. And by man's ability, they never are. You know what must come? The miraculous power and wonders of the Spirit of God. I realize it's not being bit by a rattlesnake and being unhurt from it. It's not making blind men to see in the flesh, so to speak. But you know what a miraculous power that it was that took a boy that was convinced he was okay, was convinced that his sin was alright, 
was convinced that there was really there was nothing much to this other than religion and was convinced that he didn't need to be saved and that was the farthest thing from his mind to in a moment, in one question, one question, and my whole mind changed. And I needed to be saved. And I was guilty. What man could not have ever done. I'd have argued with you and made you ashamed of that. But you know, in a moment, the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit of God turned us from idols and turned us from our vain thinking unto the Lord Jesus Christ. What miraculous power that comes through the power of the Spirit of God. That word power, it's the same as mighty up above. It's the dunamis of the Spirit of God. What miraculous power that is in the Holy Spirit. You know, that's how Jesus done His works. Maybe maybe that's a hard pill to swallow. But Jesus Himself said, if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God then the kingdom of heaven is come unto you. How was Jesus working His miracles? The Spirit of God was working through Jesus. And here the Spirit of God is working through the preacher, through Paul the Apostle, to reach these Gentiles. And today the Spirit of God works through the men of God, that the, the persuasion and the power and the work that it all might be of God. Not of man. So Paul, Paul was intelligent. Paul was educated. Paul was a man that knew how to write. He knew how to communicate. He knew the scriptures. And John, John was ignorant and unlearned by the testimony of man. And they say, when you look at John's gospel, the Greek scholars say that it was written with very limited and simple vocabulary. And yet Paul's writing this letter of Romans that's astounding. And John's gospel is equally astounding. It's not in in the ability of man, but it's all by the power of God and it's all to God's glory. No glory for man in this way. So that from Jerusalem and roundabout I fully preach the gospel of Christ. Paul, you think about this. I have preached the gospel fully everywhere around Jerusalem. Paul's mission and blessed of God was to be able to travel to all of these places as directed by the Holy Spirit and preach the gospel to them. And so in Colossians 1.25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the Word of God. Paul was a man that had a course laid before him. And he's done his dead level best to finish the course, to preach the gospel, and now he's preached in Jerusalem and the surrounding area, and his desire now is he wants to come to Rome. So let's look maybe in 20. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, 
lest I should build upon another man's foundation. So he's going to places where other people have not been. Really, it's, it's places where the gospel has never been proclaimed. It's not because he's got no confidence in the other apostles. But you see, the desire is that the gospel go out. The Lord Jesus said, preach this gospel unto every kingdom and nation. And so that's what Paul's striving to do. If, uh, if James has been here preaching, if Peter has been here, if John's been here and, and they've ministered and preached the gospel and established the church, Paul says, well, that's John's work. John's already done that. Let me go somewhere else where the gospel's not been preached and try to help somebody else that's never heard the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a world now that's never heard it. This is a day when people have never heard the gospel. How blessed we are to have heard and known the good news that God has sent His Son to be the Savior of the entire world. We didn't grow up surrounded by idols and lies and deception and foolishness and thank God for that. But I want you to know, just that's not the reason that we're saved. God here is saving people that growed up in and around deception and idols and had never heard the gospel. It's by the power of God. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, right along these same lines, verse 13, But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even to you. So if you notice in 19 in Romans and in verse 20, according he's given this according to the dispensation of God. God is the head of the house and He's distributing His goods as He sees fit to His stewards. Now that's the picture you get here. That's the picture He's saying in Corinthians according to the measure of the rule which God's distributed to us. So God's the one distributing. You, you'll probably be reminded of that parable. The parable of the talents. To one He gives five, another three, another one. And the parable of the pounds where all of them receive one pound. God's the head of the household. It's God's goods and God's belongings and God distributes them to whom He sees fit and how He sees fit. You know, they, they come to John the Baptist one day. Some of the wisest words that, that could have been spoken by a man. John the Baptist had a ministry. He was God's man. He was baptizing people. And I believe his crowd following him had begun to go down. And they come to him one day and said, that, that man that you pointed to, everybody's going after him and he's baptizing. So you know what his disciples, John's disciples now, they're a little jealous. Their feelings are hurt for John. And they're, they want John, look, your people, they're leaving you and they're going after Jesus. John says, no man can receive anything except it be given him from above, from the Father. 
So John says, look, I've had my time. I've done my ministry. It was to point to Jesus. And right after that, John says, I must decrease and He increase. I must go down and Him be exalted. So here Paul is saying, God's the one that's distributing this to me. I've been able to reach to Corinth because God has distributed to me this ministry, giving me the ability to do that. A measure to reach even unto you. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you. For we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. I'm not going beyond what God would have me to do. There's one place in Acts, and I didn't write it down, but they essayed, Paul and I believe it was Barnabas, might have been Silas, they essayed to go into Asia and the Spirit of God forbade them. The Spirit of God would not allow them to go there. So Paul says, I'm not, out, I'm not reaching beyond my means. I'm not going beyond what God would have me to do. But I'm doing and accomplishing the work that God's given me. And if we could be concerned with that, if we could be concerned with accomplishing the work that God's gave to us. So now, not boasting of things without of our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly to preach the gospel in regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. So Paul says, when you're enlarged, I'm enlarged. When you're encouraged, I'm encouraged. When you're growing, I'm growing. And that I through you... Now, Paul's desire, remember, let's spread the gospel where it's not been preached. So home base is Jerusalem. That was the home base of the early church. And so from there they go to Antioch. And Antioch is sort of a satellite base and they've not got vehicles. They can't pack a suitcase full of food. They don't have means of keeping it fresh. They don't have bags of chips. It's a different day and a different world. And you can't just jump in and go 500 miles in a day and not think about it. But you're going to have to have a place to resupply. You're going to have to have a place to stop and stay the night. And so Paul says, now that I've got a church in Corinth, I'm going to use you as a home base and I'm going to reach even farther out. you see how that works? I'm going to resupply with you and we'll travel somewhere else and preach the gospel so that the gospel through every church is going out. And so verse 20, I've strived. So that word means to be eager or earnest to do. Paul was eager that others hear the good news that delivered him from the darkness of sin. Verse 21, But as it is written, To whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. That's Isaiah 52, 15. Quote from the Old Testament. Paul says, I'm seeking to fulfill the Scriptures carrying the Gospel to those that have never heard and that have never seen. And so in Mark 16, 
and I already mentioned this, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That was the command. Go and preach. I'll be laboring and working through you to accomplish my work. It's your work to go and get the Word of God out. So verse 22 now, For which cause I have been much hindered from coming to you. So what prevented Paul from going to Rome? Paul wanted to go to Rome. In Romans chapter 1, Paul states, I've desired and I've yearned often to come and be with you. But I've got work to do here. Paul says, my, my job, my employment that God has given me to preach this gospel, I've been working to do that and it's hindered me from being to you. I've been too busy here. So you think about that and apply that to us today. You know, there's a lot of times we'd, we'd like to see and we'd like to visit and we'd like to be with other churches and our brothers and sisters in Christ. But you know, right here, right here, we've got a job. Right here, we've got a place to meet and we've got a, a place that we might get together and a work that, that needs to be done. And so that work hinders us from getting to see our brethren as we would like to and desire. And that's what Paul says here. I've wanted to come to Rome, but I've been hindered and unable to do that. But, remember, he's fully preached the gospel now. He's fulfilled that ministry. And I don't believe that's a lie either. I believe he had, and we'll see evidence of why in a minute. But now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you. So now his work is finished. He's fully preached the gospel. And since my desire and my heart has been to be with you, now verse 24, whensoever I take my journey into Spain. So where's he going? I don't know if you're any good at geography or not, but you've got Jerusalem, and you've got Italy, and Europe is up here. And at the very end of Europe is Spain. It sticks out on the very end of the peninsula. And from, from Israel to Spain was quite a large distance. And from what you knew of there, they called that the ends of the world. Because Spain is a peninsula. It sticks out into the ocean, surrounded by water on three sides. You get to Spain and you can't go any farther. So what's Paul seeking to do? To get the gospel to the end of the world. See, Paul's eyes to get to Spain. I want to go as far as I can go. I want this gospel to be spread as far as I can get it to reach. But Paul says... On my way to Spain, I'm going to stop in with you. I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. So he's coming to Spain. That's where his eye and heart is to go, to preach the gospel there. 
And he says, on my way to Spain, I'm going to stop in at Rome. I want to spend time with you. I want to be filled with your company and that you might help me on my way. That's to, to aid along in the journey. What's Paul saying? I, I hope and I pray that as I would come to you on my way to Spain, you would give me some assistance and help me. See, the, the church's job here, and, and we are a, a missionary Baptist church, what's missionary mean? It means we believe in getting the gospel out. And that's what Paul says of the church at Rome. I'm coming to you, and I, I hope and I pray that you'll help me on my journey that the gospel might reach even to Spain. If first I be somewhat filled with your company. So in, in 3 John verse number 5, Brethren, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. So there, the same thing, forward on their journey. Paul says, I would that you would aid me on. Well, this church that John was writing to in 3 John, he says, you've, you've aided these men along their way in preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now, verse 25, But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. So we'll stop there. I don't know if we'll get through that or not. But now what we're dealing with here, if you remember in the early church after the day of Pentecost, this great multitude of people was saved and they sold many of them, sold all their possessions. And they put everything in the community pod and that's how they lived and done. I don't read anywhere that God ever directed them to do that. I'm not going to say that what they did was wrong, but it certainly wasn't very wise. But they didn't foresee what was going to happen to them either. They're going to be cut off from the economy and from the means. So here are people now that they don't own anything. They've sold everything they've got and perhaps perhaps they're thinking that Jesus is going to come back and this is going to come to an end real soon. But they've sold everything they've got. They've got no property. They've got no goods. And now they're cut off and they've lost their jobs. They've lost their means to earn money because they're professing Christians and they've been cut off from the Jewish world and they're in bad shape. These people, the church at Jerusalem is in poverty. They're in bad shape. And so Paul, as he has journeyed, been given a ministry to go out and preach the gospel and all of these churches have been established throughout the Gentile world. Paul has took up a collection from these churches to bring down to Jerusalem. 
And I, I think this now. I think that in Paul's mind, they, they, still, they still didn't like Gentiles. They had a hard time with Gentiles. But you know, if Paul's thinking, and in my thinking, if all of these Gentiles give and bring it down and bring great relief, maybe, maybe then they'll realize that these people, they're the same as we are. That the Gentile churches, they're not less than we are, but they're one in Christ and they love us and we ought to love them. You can read about this a lot more in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. That whole chapter is really, he's encouraging the church at Corinth to give to this collection. So Paul says, I, I can't come immediately. I'm not going to travel to Rome immediately because I've got in my possession this collection and I would imagine he's got a pretty sizable amount of money that he's taken. And I'm going to take this down to the church at Jerusalem because there's poor saints down there. These people are in poverty. I'm going to take this down there and, and give that to the church for their relief. These Gentiles have given out of their poverty to help the churches at Jerusalem. So in Galatians chapter 2, verse 10, only that they would, that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. So Paul, remember in, in the disputation about Gentiles being saved and not having to keep the law, not having to be circumcised. All of the apostles come to an agreement that they didn't need to be circumcised and they didn't need to keep the law of Moses because they were saved and made part of the family of God through Jesus Christ. But he told them, James and the apostles said, uh, stop eating things strangled and things in blood, uh, avoid fornication and... Remember the poor. And so Paul is going to complete even that part of the ministry. They are bringing this collection to the poor. So he says, uh, if, For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution, partnership, or participation. Notice how that's worded. These churches are they're partners. So the, the mission is, that remember, the mission's from God to the church that the gospel go out. So the church in Macedonia and the church in Corinth and the church at Galatia and the church at Jerusalem, they're partners. They've all got the same job and they're all seeking after the same thing. So when the church at Jerusalem needs help, the other churches are partnered together with them. I realize, I realize today that there's, there's a lot that does not line up with the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought not be partners with that. Not every church is a church. And so we ought to be careful and mindful of that as well. But here, they are partners working together for the same cause that the truth of the gospel to go out. 
It hath pleased them verily. And listen to this, verse 27. And their debtors they are. So these Gentile churches, they owe the church at Jerusalem. They're debtors. They're indebted to them. Why is that? For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. So Paul says this gospel, first of all, the Lord Jesus Christ came from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the Jewish people. This gospel began to be preached in Jerusalem and it was the church at Jerusalem. They, that was the first church. The first church in the New Testament that there was was at Jerusalem. And if the gospel made it to Galatia, it come from Jerusalem. If the gospel made it to Corinth, it came from Jerusalem. And so Paul says they owe it to them because if it hadn't been for the church at Jerusalem, the gospel would have never reached them. The gospel sounded out from them. And so now they're indebted to them. So he says if they're partakers of their spiritual things. So they have spiritually benefited from the church at Jerusalem. They have been delivered from sin and saved by the grace of God. They've benefited. And so if they benefited from spiritual things, then their duty to owe, to be under obligation is also to minister unto them in carnal things. So a, a verse or two just along this line in 1 Corinthians 9, 11, and we've talked about these verses some in, in the recent past. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? Galatians 6, 6, Let him that is taught in the Word, so him that receives instruction from the Word, communicate. That's to give. To give back. Let him that is taught in the Word communicate to give back unto him that teacheth in all good things. Again in Deuteronomy 18. This is Old Testament now. But this is the picture that you can look at. The priests, they were... They were of the tribe of Levi, but they had no inheritance. They had no land. They had no farms. They had no means to make money nor to provide food. But in Deuteronomy 18, verse 1, the priest, the Levites, and all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his inheritance. So how do the priests live? Well, as the tribe of Judah brings offerings to God, they get to eat of the offering made to God. And so God provided for them. And God is providing here that as the churches are benefited spiritually, it's not out of place that the carnal things be ministered to be a help and a benefit 
as well. Paul says, uh, if we have sown unto you spiritual things. So Paul says, if I've come to you and preached the gospel and labored to do so, and God has spoken to you, opened your eyes, strengthened you and helped you, is it wrong that I should have carnal things? Is it out of place? So Paul says here that the churches of the Gentiles, because of the benefit spiritually that they received, they owe it to the church at Jerusalem to help them out in the need of carnal things. And it's an equality that he's looking for. He's not looking that this one be made poor, that this church be made rich. But that we all, when, when we have too much, he that gathered much and he that gathered little, and yet they all had what they needed. And that's what the desire of Paul the Apostle is here. But Paul's saying now, don't get your feelings hurt. It's not wrong that we take up a collection for the church at Jerusalem because we owe it to them. And so, onward. Verse 28, When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. So Paul's got this collection, this great sum of money. He's coming to Jerusalem and he says, I'm going to take it there personally and I'm going to give it to them and I'm going to be sure that this message is not construed. I want them to know that this came from Gentile churches who were concerned about their well-being and desired to be helpful and be a benefit to them in their time of need. So Paul says, I'm going, and when I've sealed this, listen to the way it's worded, and have sealed to them this fruit. Sealed to who? The Gentile churches. And this fruit, this produce. So this collection is produce from the lives of these people. And Paul says, I'm going to seal it. That's that stamp, that signet ring, the same word used for the Spirit. Paul says, I'm taking this down there and I'm going to make sure they know whose signature's on it. That's what we do for a check. You look and see whose signature's on there. Who did this come from? Well, Paul says, I'm going to go and make sure that they know that the Gentiles have received this offering. And his plan was, I'm going to seal them this fruit, I'm going to drop it off at Jerusalem, and then I'm heading to Spain. And I'm going to stop by and see you. So, when I've sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. So that's Paul's plan. But that's not the way it works out. Paul's going to go to Jerusalem. Paul's going to give them this gift. And in Jerusalem, Paul's going to be arrested. And he's going to be taken, and we know Festus and Agrippa. But you know where he's going to wind up anyway? He's going to wind up in Rome. But it's not going to be the way that Paul envisioned. And Paul, though his desire to preach the gospel to Spain and to regions beyond Rome 
was a noble desire. David desired to build a house. David, that's a good thing that you desire, but you're not doing it. Paul, it's a good thing that you desire to go there and preach, but that's not for you, and you're not going to do it. He's going to be arrested in Jerusalem, and he's going to be put into prison. So in Acts 24, verse 17, After many years I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings. This is Acts 24, verse 17. What is this? He's come back to Jerusalem with alms and offerings. That's exactly what he's writing about here in Romans. See, even naturally the Bible fits right together. Paul's coming to bring this offering, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult, who ought to have been here before thee and object if they had all against me. So Paul's in, in the courtroom here, and he's recounting how that he wound up here. But the Jews arrested him when he came back to Jerusalem to give this offering. And so he's not going to get to go to Spain. It's not going to go the way that he had envisioned. And yet God's in control. God's going to work through Paul what needs to be wrought. And in Acts chapter 28, the last chapter, the last couple verses, and Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So though it's not going to go the way Paul wants it to go, still he's, he's going to be arrested and he's in kind of a house arrest in Rome, in his own hired house. So he's under house arrest, but people are free to come and go. And he's preaching and teaching the gospel. It was here that God wanted Paul to be. And that's where Paul was going to be. And so verse 29, And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Listen to how beautiful that that is. I'm sure when I come to the church at Rome, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Fullness, repletion. That's filled to the top and running over. Pleroma is the Greek word. It is a complete fullness. Of the blessing, fine speaking, elegance, adoration, or benefit. Not fine speaking in the language and words that's being used, but as the prophets foresaw how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel and that bring good tidings. Not that their feet are beautiful, but how beautiful it was to see them coming and running across the hills bringing me some good news. I don't know what Paul looked like, whether he was handsome or not. But if he wasn't and he was the ugliest man that there was in that day, Still yet, how beautiful it was to see Him because of the good news that He proclaimed to our soul and that God delivered us from our sin. What wonderful news of the gospel. What benefit 
of the gospel of Christ. So what is the fullness of the blessing? And we're going to run out of time. 1 Corinthians 2.10 The revelation of mysteries. But God hath revealed them unto us by the Spirit. So these mysteries that had been covered up really from all the way back to Adam and Eve. They knew the seed of a woman was coming. That's all they knew. They didn't know when. They didn't know how. They didn't know what it was going to look like. But all of these mysteries that had been covered up from the beginning and even this mystery, the great mystery, that I'm a sinner and that I'm guilty before God. You know how all that I'm made aware of? The power of the Spirit in the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The mysteries uncovered. I see my iniquity. I see my guilt. I see the wrath of God that's weighing over my head. And I see the Lord Jesus Christ sacrificed, dead, resurrected, and in glory for my salvation. And that's revealed all through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll look at, we'll look at the rest of this verse next time. We're out of time. Anything you'd like to say? Anything you'd like to add?